Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary as we close the week here with a Fights in Football Friday. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you all very much for downloading and for listening and for those of you on YouTube watching today. Coming up on the show, uh, it is, like I said, Fights in Football Friday, the first one. Uh, for a little while as we were just in fighting Friday mode, but we have a busy show coming up today uh, previewing UFC 292 and we are getting into our NFL previews looking at difference makers on each team and we are continuing with our fantasy football look We're getting into my dudes and we're getting into mock drafts as well We've done two mock drafts so far and we're going to start the program today with our third one um, If for no other reason then it is the easiest uh it's easier for me to do this now um, in recording on video. So, um, yeah, you can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram. I'm at primetimeklein, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. And you can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. Off the bat, I do want to uh, join a, a long list of people in just sending out well wishes to those affected by wildfires. Again, out here in Western Canada, uh, both in Yellowknife and out in Kelowna, and delayed, but uh, same thing goes for what happened out in Maui as well. So um, hopefully this can be a bit of a distraction, and we will move on under that premise. So uh, it is time now. Mock draft number three. Alrighty, we are into our third mock draft here. So what the the premise behind this is is uh, this is this is this. we are looking at um, each spot in a 12 team half PPR league and just seeing how different strategies work. With the first overall pick, you can find these um, podcasted as well. Uh, there's a playlist for them on YouTube. Uh, just search Primetime Klein 1. That is where you can find me on YouTube. But um, with the first overall pick, we went Justin Jefferson and worked our way through kind of a, a zero RB strategy. With the second overall pick, we didn't do that. We went Christian McCaffrey. We've noticed that wide receiver um, is... It definitely thins out, and I think it thins out this year quicker than running back does. So we'll see where this draft kind of takes us this time around as we go from the number three spot. As always, we are doing it on hashtag not a sponsor, uh, but on uh, the Sleeper app. So uh, let's click this button. Let's go start draft. Yes. I want to start, and we are underway. So, as expected, it goes Jamar Chase. Oh, not expected, sorry. It goes Jamar Chase and Christian McCaffrey 1-2. Um, so, we're going to get Justin Jefferson and be very happy about this at this spot. Travis Kelsey goes immediately after. Uh, I'm going to mute that. That's, that, that. I don't know if, I don't think it was picking up on the thing, but it was, it was picking it up for me, and that was annoying me. So, uh, we have skipped that. Patrick Mahomes' first quarterback off the board in the second round. Um, coming back around here, Kelsey, the only tight end off of the board. It is now to us. So, we have gone... Uh, Josh Allen in a couple of these spots. We've or we've gone Josh Allen in this spot. We've gone Ramondre Stevenson in this spot as well. Uh, do we want to go? Do we want to double up on wide receivers again and and see how that zero RB type of a style really wants us to to go? I'm going to. Um, kind of put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to get into my dudes later, which I'll explain the premise of that. I've said premise too many times on this show, but 
Um, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to go Ramondre Stevenson. I think he is capable of being a, a number one running back, even with Ezekiel Elliott out in New England this year. So the pick to click is going to be Ramondre Stevenson. Garrett Wilson, Mark Andrews, Josh Allen, and Najee Harris come off of the board. Uh, so it comes back around to me. Looking at the players that are available right now, it is Chris Olave, uh, T. Higgins, and Devonta Smith as the wide receivers. At running back, it is Brees Hall, Travis Etienne, and Jameer Gibbs. So it does feel a little bit high for this, but I just feel like everyone else is a tier below. I'm going to go Jalen Hurts in this spot, and we're going to see what our draft looks like here going wide receiver, running back, and quarterback with our first three spots. Another quarterback comes off the board with the sixth overall pick in the third round. That would be Lamar Jackson. Uh, Debo Samuel comes off, so... I've I've been saying that I want to get um, Darren Waller in these drafts. I'm probably going to have to reach here. And this is where the, the strategy of taking Hurts backfires a little bit because Justin Herbert is sitting right here, and that's why maybe you don't necessarily reach on those quarterbacks um, in the way that we just did. But I am... Like, DeAndre Hopkins is available here as a wide receiver. We haven't gone tight end yet. We've been around too late in waiting on Darren Waller. Waller is probably going to be my 5-3 pick um, coming around here. We're at 4-10 right now. Uh, wide receivers available, DeAndre Hopkins, DJ Moore, Jerry Judy, Drake London, and Christian Watson. Running backs are Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders, Damian Pierce, J.K. Dobbins, and Cam Akers. I am really intrigued by DJ Moore this year, so we're going to take DJ Moore in this spot and solidify our wide receiver room again. Off of the board after us goes Aaron Jones, uh, Nuke Hopkins, Damian Pierce, and George Kittle. So that fell the, the way we kind of thought, and we are now going to take Darren Waller in this spot. And uh, again, putting my money where my mouth is after doing a, a little bit more research on these topics as it comes around. So this would be an area now where we're probably hoping to get our number two running back. I am hoping, I was just about to say, I am hoping that DeAndre Swift stays on. He did not. Um, so we, we missed him by about six picks. I've been taking Javante Williams in the, these spots, um, at some certain times. Dalvin Cook is also available. We were gifted him is one way of putting it in one of our last ones. Javante Williams, I just feel like he is someone that Yes, he is coming off of an injury, but he was so talented a couple of years ago. I, I just don't feel like this is a, a running back that is going to, to really disappoint. So as our RB2, I feel comfortable in taking Williams here. After us, it's Hollywood Brown, Dalvin Cook, Michael Pittman, and Isaiah Pacheco. I'd be interested to go with a, a bit more of a um, sure thing, I guess, in a David Montgomery to, to kind of back up Javante Williams there. And you look at the wide receivers around, it's Christian Kirk, Mike Evans, JSN, Deontay Johnson, and George Pickens. So again, not loving what we are seeing um, from the, the wide receiver spot. So I am going to go with another running back here, and we're, we're going to go David Montgomery in this spot. Um, players that were kind of hoping to, to come back around by the time we are drafting one more time. Um, th there isn't really like a major target coming up here in the draft as it's circling back around a couple more quarterbacks have gone off the board Tua and Dak Prescott Deshaun Watson goes as well so now we are back around it's Kadarius Tony available along with Quinton Johnson Brandon Cooks uh, Michael Thomas at wide receiver at running back 
uh, available is Zach Charbonnet, Rashad Penny, and Brian Robinson. I I really like Rashad Penny. I think he's going to get uh, a bit of that backfield in Philadelphia. That they, they do split things a fair amount. He does get hurt a little bit, and I'm worried that we're going with a couple too many injury-prone running backs here. But I'm going to go Rashad Penny in this spot and continue to, to round out our, our running back room. Wide receivers that are available as it comes back to us after Anthony Richardson goes. Brandon Cooks, Kadarius Tony, and then Charbonnet. So Quinton Johnson's out there. Michael Thomas, Zay Flowers, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cortland Sutton, Elijah Moore, and Jamison Williams. We've gotten Zay Flowers in this spot before. I like Zay Flowers um, a fair amount and the, the potential for that offense out in Baltimore. Quinton Johnson's an interesting name given how banged up that receiver room can get in LA. So we're going to take a gamble on a... a a rookie running back here for the second year in a row or for the second draft in a row here. And we're going to go Quinton Johnson in, in this spot. So as we, um, this one following actually a little bit differently, we we've rounded out our running back room here early and now we'll see what's available for us at wide receiver as things come back around to us. So it swings back. We are back on the clock, and it's a number of running or wide receivers now that are available. Elijah Moore, Jamison Williams, Alan Lazard that are um, ADP-wise supposed to be going in this neighborhood. For running backs, the top ones available, Damian Harris, Elijah Mitchell, Jarek McKinnon, Condre Miller, and Raheem Mostert. So uh, also, if you're wondering for quarterbacks, Geno Smith is available here, uh, as well as Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, Russell Wilson, and Bryce Young. So there isn't really an obvious, okay, that this is the one we have waited for this spot here. I think I'm going to go Damian Harris. He's just, just a solid running back on a very good offense. So once again, really building up the, this running back depth. But I feel like after a couple of riskier picks, this one's a, a bit more of a safer one at running back. So now we're starting to look ahead. We have two picks that aren't kicker and defense left. Three picks, sorry, that aren't kicker and defense coming up. Um, at looking at those available, Elijah Moore is really interesting. The number two receiver in Cleveland, maybe the number three or four option in Cleveland doesn't intrigue me a whole lot. We've gone Jarek McKinnon before in this spot, and I think I might go there again. But one more time, our wide receiver depth is certainly lacking. And when you look at the, the options that are left, there aren't a ton that make you get really excited. So this is why we have been going wide receiver a little bit earlier on in drafts, because now you're looking at this, and it's like, Jarek McKinnon feels like almost like a luxury purchase here. We are going to go with McKinnon, um, but yeah, it's I'm not loving how the wide receiver rooms end up as we have kind of waited on on wide receiver here, and as you, you kind of see it come along, it, it just looks gross at receiver the, the later into drafts that you go. So we come back around here. I am going to go receiver in this spot. I'm going to go Romeo Dobbs. Um, I, I think that there's still actually a bit of potential in the Green Bay offense, and I feel like at this point, we're not paying a premium for it. So Romeo Dobbs is going to, to be our wide receiver there. Uh, Higby, Foreman, Jalen Warren, and Mingo come off of the board. I'm running backs that there isn't one that really gets me all that excited at this point. So I think we are going to go wide receiver one more time, and we're going to go with a, another big play type of a threat in Rondale more. And now, and this is where, and honestly, I'm probably going to start doing this. This is where I think you could justify going kicker and defense in, in these spots is right there. Cause at that point at 
sorry, in the 13th round, I have not loved any option that we've got there so far, and we find ourselves on the tail end of both a kicker and a defense run. Uh, so we're going to take the Jets defense here, and it's going to swing back around to us, and we will go with uh, kicker Brandon McManus, who we have always gone with. So this is probably, of the three that we've done so far, the one that I like the least. Um, and I'm seeing now that maybe the the decision to reach on Darren Waller there in that fifth round maybe does come back to bite us a little bit. Miles Sanders comes off of the board. J.K. Dobbins comes off of the board. Jerry Judy, Chris Godwin, um, Drake London. Maybe those are some options that you would like ahead of a Darren Waller. So maybe reaching on the tight end that I wanted, maybe that does end up coming back to bite uh, a little bit. But that is a player that I've kind of targeted as a, a guy who I would really like, but that might have been the strategic error here. So to, to recap... Our starting group here, our quarterback is going to be Jalen Hurts, wide receiver Justin Jefferson and uh, DJ Moore out in Chicago. Our starting running backs are going to be Ramondre Stevenson and Javante Williams. Our starting tight end is Darren Waller. And then in the flex, David Montgomery is kind of our best option right now. So this one, not the strongest of teams from the, the three hole. I, I would say this one is my least favorite of the teams that we've put together so far. Uh, looking at the depth of things, we only drafted one quarterback. Our wide receiver room is Justin Jefferson, DJ Moore, Quinton Johnson, Romeo Dobbs, and Rondale Moore. Um, and our running backs are Ramondre Stevenson. Sorry for watching along and I'm scrolling all over the place. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, Javante Williams, David Montgomery, Rashad Penny, Damian Harris, and Jarek McKinnon, our Jet, we have the Jets defense, and we have Brandon McManus as our kicker. So that is what it looks like or what it could look like if you go from the third overall position in your fantasy draft. Um, like I said, I'm doing all of these picks 1 through 12 and going to be putting them up as podcasts as well as having them in a YouTube playlist. So if you want to see and kind of follow along, that is the place to do it there. So that is uh, another mock draft here from Couch Potato Diary. Let's get into our actual NFL previews now as we are looking today at difference makers. Um, I think that's a term that gets thrown around a fair amount, and I've had to go through and kind of edit, and honestly, I'll probably edit it down one more time, um, but the, these are players that can really, truly make a difference on NFL teams and kind of move that needle in helping a, a team get to where they want to get to, and that would be a championship. We are going to do this in alphabetical order. Uh, we will start with the Arizona Cardinals. They have but one. Uh, difference maker, and that would be Kyler Murray. You could make maybe a case of, for for Buda Baker, but no, it's it's Kyler. Um, next up, it's Atlanta. They have a couple, both on the offensive line, and that's why I, I think a Bijan Robinson gets very interesting. Um, it's Chris Lidstrom who was the PFL's highest-graded guard this season, and Jake Matthews, who has been a, a just rock-solid tackle for this team for a long time. So they, they've established that foundation on the offensive line. It's just getting the, the quarterback uh, around. I, I think Atlanta's kind of a sneaky good team that no one's talking about, but solid offensive line. Bijan Robinson, you, you like um, you, you like London in the, the, the receiving room. 
few things happening in, in Atlanta and in a bad division that that's not the worst place to be. Baltimore's got a couple. Uh, Lamar Jackson, I think, is a difference maker and a needle mover at quarterback. He gets help from Ronnie Stanley on the offensive line. Roquan Smith was a borderline for me. I didn't quite put him in. And I put John Harbaugh as a, a difference maker as this team's head coach. The Buffalo Bills, I think they have three. Josh Allen at quarterback. That one seems pretty obvious. Stephon Diggs at wide receiver. I, I think the, the proof is in the pudding, as they say, as he went to Buffalo and made an immediate difference. And uh, Tredavious White in, in that defensive backfield as a, a cornerback. I, I think that in, in his past coverage, he has become a, a difference maker there. In Carolina, there's one. It's J.C. Horn, and that one is a little borderline, but we'll give it to him just so Carolina can have one. Chicago, for a team that is uh, supposed to be on the rise. That next year we might have a few more. Uh, we, we might be able to move Justin Fields into to this spot. But for now, it's just Tremaine Edmonds uh, at linebacker, kind of solidifying that defense. But even that one's pretty borderline, actually, uh, out in Chicago. I think there's three with the Cincinnati Bengals. I think it's Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and then on defense, Trey Hendrickson. Um, I, I think those like the. I don't think you're gonna get much argument on on any of those guys. Uh, Joe Burrow is an absolute culture changer. Jamar Chase is a difference maker when it comes to, to being a wide receiver. And Trey Hendrickson can get pressure on the quarterback just by himself. And that opens up so much more on that defense. And these three guys are, I think, like the key reasons why Cincinnati is now perennially a contender to go to the Super Bowl. In Cleveland, there's three. Uh, it is Denzel Ward on defense, uh, along with Miles Garrett. I think that combination gives this Browns defense uh, a real identity out in a, a division that has the identity in the AFC North. And then I do think Nick Chubb at running back is a difference maker. There are very few running backs on this list, but I think Nick Chubb has the talent and the potential to be one of them. The Dallas Cowboys have two. Micah Parsons, I think, is pretty obvious. He has worked his way into the discussion and probably at the top of the discussion as being the, the best defensive player in the league and I think one of the bigger impact defensive players in the league. And then Zach Martin from the, the guard spot. Um, I, I think he can really make a big difference on that offensive line. In Denver, there's two. It's both in the defense. That shouldn't surprise you. Patrick Sertan and Justin Simmons, both going to be key cogs of what Denver is looking to do this year. But you look at that Denver Broncos team a season ago. If they were able to put up anything offensively, then this is a team that is competing for a playoff spot. It's just the offense was historically bad, but that defense was so good that even with a historically bad offense, they were able to stay in games, and those two guys are a big part of it. There's one in Detroit. It's Aiden Hutchinson. Penny Sewell, I, I wanted to put on there. We just haven't seen it enough yet, but Aiden Hutchinson is an absolute game wrecker, I think, on the defensive side of things, and I think he alone makes a big difference for Detroit's defense. In Green Bay, there's two. Jair Alexander on the defensive side of things and on the uh, offensive line, David Bakhtiari has just been such a force for what this team has been looking to do when healthy. He is just an absolute monster on the offensive line in Green Bay. There's one in Houston and it's borderline, uh, but Laramie Tunsil is the, the one that, that I end up going with there. In Indianapolis, there's actually three. Guard Quinton Nelson, who has just been a big part of things there for a little bit. Uh, DeForest Buckner on the defensive line. Um, and you know what? That's... I'm going to stick with just two. I, I had three written down, but I, I'm just going to go with two on this one. Uh, Jacksonville, I think they have two. One on either side of the ball. Trevor Lawrence and Josh Allen. I think those are two guys that you can... We talk about building foundations. Those are two guys that you build a foundation around. And quite frankly, 
Um, if Calvin Ridley gets to his potential, they're going to have a third one on this list for next season. Kansas City has four. That shouldn't surprise you. They are the Super Bowl champions. Uh, up first is pretty clearly Patrick Mahomes, along with tight end Travis Kelsey. Just those two guys win you football games. And on the defensive side of things, Chris Jones, ditto. And then I have um, I have Andy Reid as the, the head coach. I, I think he is one of the head coaches in this league. That makes a difference. Flipping through the notebook. Uh, we continue. On Vegas, surprisingly, there's two. Max Crosby, a, a real game wrecker as a pass rusher. And Devontae Adams is still a wide receiver that can, excuse me, take these football games over. The Chargers have three. Justin Herbert on the offensive side of things. It's criminal what has happened to, to him in the first couple of years with the, the Chargers. And hopefully now, with Kellen Moore there, can really unlock something in this Chargers offense. And then on the defensive side of things, it's Joey Bosa and Derwin James. Two, like, perennial all-pro players in the National Football League. The Rams have three. Uh, Cooper Cup, I think, is still that guy. You saw that in the Super Bowl they won a couple of years ago where Matthew Stafford was just like, look, we're just going to throw it to this guy the whole time and kind of assume that's going to be enough. And also Aaron Donald on at defensive tackle. Maybe not what he was a couple of years ago, but he still very much is. And then Sean McVay, I still think, is one of the better minds in the sport. Just had some injury issues to, to work through last season. In Miami, uh, they have three. It is uh, Tyreek Hill at the wide receiver. Jerrion Armstead, uh, Armstead sorry, on offensive tackle. And I have a coordinator here. I have Vic Vangio um, as he goes to, to Miami and will really solidify things on the defensive side of the football. So I, I think he was a very highly sought-after defensive coordinator, and him going to Miami makes them a really intriguing team in the AFC East. Minnesota, it's Justin Jefferson and Daniil Hunter, and even Hunter is a bit of a... But Jefferson's probably the best wide receiver in the league, as we've noted. Um, we've got him twice in fantasy mock drafts, so hopefully that's a trend that can continue for me. Um, New England, it is Matthew Judon. That is the, the only one I see, and I'm not even putting Bill Belichick on there anymore. He's going to have to, not that he has anything to prove, but for the modern right here and now, that's something that I, I think you're going to have to see a little bit more from him. Um, New Orleans, it was, it's borderline, but Alvin Kamara, maybe. There, there's not a lot on this team. There isn't, like, they have good at a lot of positions, but difference makers? Not a lot on, on this New Orleans squad. The New York Giants, I think there's three. Saquon Barkley absolutely is. Um, if you take Saquon Barkley away from this offense, it is one of the, if not the worst offenses in the NFL. That alone makes him a difference maker. And on the defensive side of things, Dexter Lawrence, as well as Kayvon Thibodeau, are going to be uh, listed there. For their... Um, I guess, roommates, <laughs> the New York Jets. Uh, Sauce Gardner at cornerback. It's year one for Gardner and for Garrett Wilson, but they both make the list. They, they were just like absolute tone setters in turning things around with the Jets. And again, you see proof of concept that these guys are difference makers. They come in and year one turn things around for the Jets. And, and then Quinton Williams on the defensive line. Uh, I think he is someone that can really cause some problems for game planners in the NFL. Philadelphia's got a bunch of them, and that's why they, they are uh, they're defending NFC champions and such an intriguing team once again this year. I think Jalen Hurts absolutely is a difference maker at quarterback. I do believe A.J. Brown is a difference maker, a wide receiver. I think his acquisition going to Philadelphia um, really helped unlock another level from Jalen Hurts that got him into this category. 
Uh, also, Lane Johnson, just anytime he's out, it, it everything falls apart for this team. And I'm going to put Jason Kelsey in there as well on the offense. You could just put the whole offensive line, really. And on defense, Hassan Reddick um, was a game wrecker in the uh, NFC all season long. And I'm going to put James Bradbury there as well. For Pittsburgh, TJ Watt, uh, along with Minka Fitzpatrick, um, has a real case for being like one of the best or the best defensive player in the league. And I still think Minka Fitzpatrick back there makes a, a bit of a difference. And I'm going to say Mike Tomlin too, because this is not a very good roster. And he got them above 500 and battling for a playoff spot a season ago. San Francisco is another team that's got a ton of difference makers. The high-end talent on San Francisco is ridiculous. Uh, Nick Bosa on the defensive side of things, along with Fred Warner and Javon Hargraves. Those are guys that I, I think absolutely are. On offense, Trent Williams... Um, again, one one of the best offensive linemen in the history of the sport, along with Christian McCaffrey. And I put Debo Samuel in there. I think because of his versatility and everything that he can bring to a football field, I think that he is absolutely someone who makes a difference in this offense. And then the straw that stirs the drink, Kyle Shanahan is certainly a difference maker on any team that he is a part of. Seattle, Pete Carroll was the main one. And then after that, it's just like, it's a lot of good. And I'm sure in a couple of years, we'll have some guys like, okay, th this is one of the dudes who makes a difference. But um, after that is DK Metcalf. Uh, I think that he is a, a you put him anywhere and he is kind of a number one type of a guy. So I, I think he for sure is a difference maker. Not much in Tampa Bay, a couple borderlines in Tristan Wirfs and Vita Vea. I think they were much more impactful a couple of years ago than they were last year. In Tennessee, it's Mike Vrabel as the head coach and then Derrick Henry still, uh, like he is a, genre-defining running back out in, in Tennessee. So I, I think he gets it. And then in Washington, it's two guys on the defensive line. Not nearly enough people are talking about Chase Young coming back from injury and then Montez Sweat on that defensive line out in Washington as well. So those are your difference makers across the NFL. Uh, one more thing in our fantasy football previews. It's not just mock drafts this year. It's uh, a thing that I do called my dudes. And this goes back to something... Um, where it, when I was at Sportsnet 960 doing the, the fantasy football show, I think I called him a boy, but I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna stick with my dudes because it looks better when you type it out onto a thing. But um, this is a couple of guys like this is a, a player at each category who I find I am higher on than everyone else. Like these are just guys who like okay that this is this is a guy who I absolutely am feeling much better about and probably going to end up with him on a number of different teams. And we tried to get a couple of them on this one, uh, on the, the mock draft today. At quarterback, it's Tua. And this isn't a, a bold proclamation, but I feel like there are going to be some major concerns about his injuries. When it's it's football, man, everyone can get hurt. It's just we saw his very graphically a season ago, and that was very much a problem. But with that offense, and it really felt like he, he unlocked something going into last season. And so because of that, I, I do think that whatever you get from him health-wise, you're absolutely going to need to, to draft a, a backup quarterback with him. That would be one where I would get Tua, and almost immediately I would look for Geno Smith as well. Uh, at running back, we got him today, Ramondre Stevenson. I think this is absolutely a back who has number one running back potential. Right now, he's going as the 11th running back. So depending on your format, he's a, a running back one or a high-end running back two. And he's going 25th overall. So right around second, third round turnarounds. I think that is criminally underrating uh, a really, 
really talented football player, and I think overrating the impact that an Ezekiel Elliott is going to have in the running back room in New England this year. At wide receiver, it's Debo Samuel. Uh, he is going as the 13th wide receiver. This is a guy who has wide receiver one talent written all over him. Um, San Francisco... This isn't just like a couple of years ago with like a Percy Harvins and guys like that where, oh, we just got to try to give him the ball in space. It's, yeah, that's fucking everyone in the NFL. There are very few guys that are like, you know what? We just need to get him the ball and have everyone on the defense really crowded around him. Like the goal of the sport is to get people in space. So that apparently I'm fired up about this topic. But Debo Samuel is someone who has the talent to take advantage of it. It wasn't just like a gadget player or whatever. He gets used in gadget player type of situations, but he is a down-to-down, consistent player. And maybe you worry about the wear and tear, but I I think that he is one of the most talented players this league has. And so to be getting him, uh, right now, it's 40th overall. So around the third, fourth round? Yeah. Sign, absolutely sign me up. And then at tight end, we, we took him today, Darren Waller. He is going as the sixth tight end and 68th overall. I reached on him today and made a mistake on him, um, but th- that should not take away from the, the greatness that is Darren Waller. Okay, that is the football portion of Fights and Football Friday. Now let's get into the fight. It is time to break down UFC 292. All right, uh, UFC 292 coming to you from Boston this weekend. Two title fights. We are going to be previewing both of them coming up right away here. Uh, but overall, like this is going to be a pretty fun fight. You look at some of the pre- uh, prelims, like uh, Andre Lee is a, a fighter that people recognize. Um, Jared Mearshart is on there as well. Um, the, the big one on the prelims is absolutely Chris Weidman coming back from a two-year leg layoff taking on Brad Tavares. This one, I am not anticipating to be the most entertaining fight in the history of the sport, but it's just going to be great to see one of the the true greats of the sport, Chris Weidman, get back in there after an injury. Uh, The night will start on pay-per-view in the bantamweight division as Marlon Vera takes on Pedro Munoz. Vera is 30 years old, born in Ecuador, 5'8", training at RVCA Training Center, 28-1 in his pro career with 8 wins by submission, 8 wins by knockout, and 8 losses by decision, if you remember, 28-1. and one. So, this is a fighter who has never been stopped. His last bout, a split decision loss to Corey Sandhagen back in the UFC on ESPN in March of 2023, which ended a four-fight win streak featuring KO wins over Dominic Cruz and Frankie Edgar. He's been in the UFC since 2014, amassing a record of 14-7. and seven. He's been a pro since 2011 and carries with him a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He goes up against Pedro Munoz, who is 36 years old out of Sao Paulo, Brazil, 5 foot 6, 100 and, or, um, sorry, a 65 inch reach. There he is 20 and 7 with two no contests, five wins by knockout, five, uh, eight wins by submission and seven decision losses. So again, never been stopped. He is coming off of a win in a unanimous decision victory over Chris Gutierrez back at the UFC on ESPN in April of this year, which ended a three-fight winless streak for him. His last seven bouts, it has been a bit of a slog for Munoz, as he is two and four with one no contest. He hasn't finished an opponent since 2019. That was Cody Garbrandt. He's been in the UFC as well since 2014. He is 10 and 7 with two no contests in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. The former RFA bantamweight champion has been a pro since 2009 and also is a BJJ black belt. So let's pull up uh, some of the odds for this. But like this is 
I, I have a lot of respect for the talents of Pedro Munoz, but I personally don't believe that this is a fighter that is anywhere close to the level of Marlon Chito Vera. I, I think Vera is one of the, the higher f uh, ranking type of fighters in this division. Um, and, and in this sport, quite frankly. And so I feel like this is a, a fight that Vera should do quite well in. Um, just as we're trying to pull up the, uh, the, the odds here. Um, yeah, they, they would suggest that. Marlon Vera minus 188. So probably not a whole lot of value in that. Interesting, you can get plus on both over and under um, two and a half rounds. I think Marlon Vera... I think he's going to want to make a real stamp on this. I think that he is going to be a fighter that is in contention for a championship uh, opportunity, depending on how the, the main event goes with Aljamain Sterling taking on Sean O'Malley. But I, I think Vera is going to want to put a stamp on this one. So I think an interesting call here is actually to go under two and a half rounds. We're getting that right now at plus 245. So I think that's a, that's an interesting one. I think even though Munoz has never been finished, I think Vera has the power and the capabilities to do just that. Uh, not going to break down Damon Blackshear and Mario Bautista. Uh, Blackshear coming off of a win a week ago, uh, coming in on as a, a late replacement. It will be what it'll be. Um, in the welterweight division, Ian Gary, who has been all about the self-promotion this week, goes up against Neil Magny, who never is about the self-promotion. Gary is 25 years old, board, uh, born in Ireland, 6 foot 3, uh, 74 and a half inch reach advantage, trains under the tutelage of Henry Hooft at Kilcliffe FC. Perfect record of 12-0, 7 wins by knockout, 1 by submission. One of those knockout wins came back in May in his last bout, where he beat Daniel Rodriguez in the UFC on ABC. He has already fought twice in 2023, back-to-back -back finishes after back-to-back -back decisions. He's been in the UFC a couple of years, 5-0 with three stoppages. Former Cage Warriors welterweight champion. He is a judo black belt. He actually started in boxing, and then as Conor McGregor rose to prominence, he shifted over to judo to expand his martial arts repertoire and has been very talented in that. He's pro since 2019. Neil Magny, 36 years old out of Brooklyn, New York. Six foot three with an 80 inch reach, so he will have a five and a half inch reach advantage coming into this bout. Trading at Elevation Fight Team, 28 and 10 with 11 wins by stoppage, uh, and he has been stopped eight out of the 10 times he has been defeated in his career. His last win, a split decision win over Philip Rowe at the UFC on ABC, June 24th, 2023. That was his second fight of 2023. He has alternated wins and losses in his last five, uh, but the losses have come to Gilbert Burns and Shavkat Rachmanov. So the, the tippy top of the welterweight division are the ones that Neil Magny has had trouble with. And that is what Ian Gary is going to look to prove that he is coming up on Saturday night. Magny uh, has the most wins in welterweight history. He has the most decision wins in the history of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. He made his debut, and we bring this up every time Neil Magny fights. He made his debut at UFC 157. Also fighting on that card in the main event, it was the first ever women's title fight with Ronda Rousey going up against Liz Carmouche. He fought on the Facebook prelims of that. That tells you where we were at era-wise, that there was a Facebook prelims. Also on the card, Leona Machida against Dan Henderson. Uriah Faber was on this card, as was 
now comedian Brendan Schaub. So it's been a while since Neil Magny has been stepping into the octagon. Made his debut at UFC 157. He is now fighting at UFC 292. So dude's been in there a little bit. He is 21 and 9 in the UFC after coming into the promotion from the Ultimate Fighter. A pro since 2010. He also has a BA in criminal justice and served in the army where he was deployed to Kuwait. Gary is the, the new hotness. Um, in welterweight, and he is a gigantic favorite right now. And actually, you're not getting great odds uh, for this fight to go five, or three, sorry. Um, well, if you do think it's going three, it's actually not bad, at plus 110. But it's minus 150 for this to finish under two and a half rounds. Gary is just on quite a roll. Um, Neil Magny, I, I think, is going to hang in there with him. Um, but I, I don't think that Neil Magny has it at this point to, to keep up with Ian Gary. Now, if Gary has that same feeling, it could be a long night for him. I don't think Magny gets finished in this. I, I think that this is going to be one of the tougher tests of Ian Gary's career, but I do think that he is going to, to be able to, to pull this one out. So Ian Gary is going to be my pick by decision in this one. We then get into the co-main event of the evening for the UFC Women's Strawweight Championship as the champion, uh, Zhang Weili, takes on Amanda Limos. Zhang is 34 years old, born in China. At 5'4", she has a 63-inch reach. She trains at Black Tiger Fight Club. 23-3, 11 wins by knockout, 8 by submission, 1 KO loss, and 2 decision losses in her career. Her most recent fight was the one that she won the championship in again as she beat Carla Esparza. The division kind of fell right for her as uh, she had back-to-back -back losses to Rose Namajunas, and then Rose had a surprise loss to Carla Esparza, but then, like, just styles make fights, and Wei Li is it a very horrible style matchup for Carla Esparza and proved thusly over uh, about seven minutes of that fight with a submission win there. Back-to-back -back finishes now over Esparza and Ioana Janjacek. Back-to-back wins after the back-to-back -back losses to Rose Namajunas. She's been in the UFC since 2018. She is the first ever Chinese champion and is 7-2 in the UFC. Several outlets picked her as the female fighter of the year in 2022. She's been a pro since 2013, was also a pro kickboxer. Limos is 36 years old, born in Brazil, 65-inch reach. She trains at the Marajo Brothers team. 13-2-1, 8 wins by knockout, 3 by submission, 1 KO, 1 submission loss. Her last win came at Ultimate Fight Night uh, back at the UFC Apex in November of last year, going up against Marina Rodriguez, a third-round TKO finish there. Back-to-back -back finishes after a loss to Jessica Andrade. She's won 7 of her last 8 and stopped 5 of them. She's been in the UFC since 2017, 7-2 in that time. The former Jungle Fight Women's Bantamweight Champion has been a pro since 2014. The main thing in this is this is obviously, like, it's the champion. So, that's going, that in theory, that's going to be a step up for anyone. This is a gigantic step up in competition for Limo. She, she's ranked fifth in the division. I would have felt more comfortable with her getting one more fight before she steps in with the champion here, but the division just kind of broke the way that it has. And now Limo is in there against Zhang Wei Li. Um... This is the first ever pay-per-view main card that Limosha is going to be fighting on. Her only other pay-per-view appearance was on the Fight Pass prelims at UFC 259. Aside from that, it has been a whole lot of fight night cards, so this whole week has been like nothing she has ever experienced before, while Wei Li was showing quite a bit of comfort in this scenario. Limosh is incredibly powerful. Everything she throws comes with a lot of power. Leg kicks, punches, all of it. It was weird, like I was watching the, the Rodriguez fight back, 
this is a weird way to describe it. She even grapples powerfully. Like every every movement is so that it hurts you the most. That and which is a pretty good attribute to have when you're getting into a fist fight in a cage. But I don't think there is one aspect of the game that she has a technical advantage on Wei Li on. Um, the, the like she was countering Rodriguez really well, but Wei Li is a significantly more skilled striker, I think, than Marina Rodriguez is. And so I don't think those counters are going to be there. I don't think the same openings on the ground are going to be there. And in fact, I would suggest Limo should just avoid that world entirely, even though she's pretty good at it. She is not Zhang Wei Li. So I, I just, again, just because one fighter is better in an area doesn't mean that it completely cancels everything off. But I I think um, Zhang Weili or Weili Zhang comes away with a, a pretty convincing win here. Li Moch absolutely has a puncher's chance. And if you want to take a bit of a roll at plus 280, then by all means, uh, because it's it's combat sports and anything can happen. But Weili Zhang is, I, I think, with with all due respect significantly superior in almost every form of the combat sports world. So that's, it seems pretty harsh, but that is my analysis for Zhang Weili taking on a man in Limoges. And then we get into the main event of the evening. It is for the UFC's Bantamweight Championship as Aljamain Sterling takes on Sugar Sean O'Malley. Sterling is 34 years old out of Uniondale, New York. Five foot seven with a 71 inch reach advantage training out of the Sarah Longo fight team. He is 23 and three in his career. With three wins coming by knockout, eight by submission, another one by disqualification. We all remember that one. It's where he won the title. Uh, one knockout loss and two decision losses on his resume. His most recent bout at UFC 288, where he defeated one of the all-time greats in the sport in Henry Cejudo by split decision. It is a nine-fight win streak with notable wins over TJ Dillashaw, the aforementioned Cejudo, uh, Piorion, and Corey Sandhagen as well. Uh, five decisions in that win streak. He has the most successful title defenses in UFC history, the second most title wins uh, in UFC, sorry, most successful title defenses in bantamweight history in the UFC, and most uh, title fight wins in bantamweight division history as well. He's been in the UFC since 2014 with a record of 15 and 3. He is a uh, he has been a pro since 2011 a BJJ black belt after a Div 3 NCAA wrestling career. He joined the wrestling team to stay out of trouble as some of his siblings, whether it be the seven full or 12 half siblings that he had joined gangs when he was growing up. Uh, so it's quite the story for Aljamain Sterling. He is going up against someone who it has kind of felt was destined for this area of the the, the combat sports world, um, getting into championship fights and being at the, the tippy top of these cards. Sean O'Malley is 28 years old out of Helena, Montana. At 5'11", training out of the MMA lab, he has a 72-inch reach. 16-1 for his MMA career, 11 wins by knockout, one by submission. He was knocked out in his only loss inside the octagon. A uh, split decision win in his last bout came over Piotr Jan back at UFC 280, earning him this title shot in that victory in October. Undefeated in his last five, 4-0 with one no contest. The Jan fight was his first decision win since 2018, uh, going back to UFC 222. His only loss was to Marlon Vera on this card at UFC 252. Been in the UFC since 2017 at 8-1 with one no contest after a stint on Dana White's contender series. Such an intriguing fight. Uh, for Aljamain Sterling, it feels pretty clear that this is going to be his last fight at 135 pounds, especially if he wins this one. He seems destined to, to move up following this bout, and I, I think you do have to... It, it's such a weird 
weird, weird resume for Aljamain Sterling because we just went over it. TJ Dillashaw, Henry Cejudo, uh, Piotr Jan, some of the like all-time greats at 135 pounds. And yet, Dillashaw arm injury, Cejudo after a long layoff, Piotr Jan, uh, need him in the brain while he was illegally down. And then he beat him, to be fair. He then beat him. But we're talking about now three of his four biggest wins in his career, you, you can kind of explain off. And as things go on, it that, that stuff starts to matter less. But here in the moment, it just, it doesn't, like, it, it feels, it almost, quite frankly, it feels, looking at the resume, it feels disrespectful to even question it, but bringing it up also feels disrespectful in a different way. Talking about Aljamain, sta uh, Aljamain Sterling's status as the bantamweight goat in the, the history of mixed martial arts. The initial reaction is, no. No, he's not. Like, he's not, honestly, not particularly close, in my opinion. But then you look at the resume, and it's like, well, how is he not? <laughs> Delashaw, Cejudo, Jan, Sanhang, like, just, he has beat some really, really top-level competition, um, but it's just the way that it's all gone has been very strange around Aljamain Sterling. Uh, he's going to want this fight on Saturday to, to be just as strange. Uh, I think that if this turns into a technical showcase, that is going to be quite bad for Aljamain Sterling. And that's not to say that he's just going out there and just like the, the Homer Simpson where I'm going to wave my arms and if they happen to hit you, they hit you. But um, I, I think that he has been a very difficult puzzle to solve for a number of fighters. And I... I I just have a feeling Sean O'Malley is going to be able to do that. Um, you, you look at it as they stand. It is only a one-inch reach advantage. O'Malley just feels so much bigger. He is four inches taller. Um, on the ground, Aljamain Sterling is very good. So is Sean O'Malley. Like, I just... I think that O'Malley is a pretty live dog in this one. Right now, you can get him at plus 215. Um, I, feel like, I, I feel like we're getting an upset here. I think Sean O'Malley comes away from this fight as the bantamweight champion. I feel like what he is going to be able to bring on the feet is like nothing that Sterling has really seen a whole lot of before. And I think that he is good enough on the ground that he's going to stop Sterling from taking his back and really having his way in the, the submission game. So I think that O'Malley is good enough in the areas that Sterling is significantly better at that... O'Malley, I think the biggest edge in this fight is O'Malley on the feet, and I think he's going to be able to, to keep it there. Now, it's I, I heard it on a preview today. Sterling is three takedowns away from winning this fight, but I, I just feel like O'Malley is going to be able to keep this on the feet long enough that he's going to be able to do the damage with his hands. I think we get an upset. I, I think Sean O'Malley wins the UFC Bantamweight Championship, and again, I'm not a huge fan of the dude or anything like that. I, I just, when I, I stack these two up, it just feels to me like O'Malley has a bit of the edge in the stand-up, and that is going to, to be enough to get him the victory. But it's going to be a really intriguing fight, and I, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting questions. What happens after this, regardless of who wins, in a few different weight classes? Like, this feels like a very significant pay-per-view. Maybe not so much in name value, but in terms of, like, setting things up down the road. Feels like a, a lot of things of significance happen on this fight card this weekend. So, uh, just quickly... Today's ticket, um, we picked uh, three from this. We have the under, uh, sorry, I'm using two computers and picked the wrong uh, mouse. Uh, we have the under in the Marlon Vera-Pedro Munoz fight. That was at plus 245. We have the under in the uh, Ian Gary, wait, 
no, we have the over, sorry. Uh, we have the over for the Ian Gary Neil Magni fight. This is over or under two and a half rounds. So basically, does it go to a decision or not? Uh, and then Sean O'Malley to win straight up over Aljamain Sterling at plus 215. Those are the picks that we clicked. Thank you all so much. Uh, this has been a, a really, really fun week. We've been trying a whole lot here on uh, Couch Potato Diary. Uh, we're doing a whole lot of stuff on the, the, the YouTubes right now. Um, trying to, gonna get a, a lot of this hopefully up on, on TikTok as well so you can follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show, couch, email, uh, email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. At some point this weekend, hoping to have a reaction show up for uh, UFC 292 coming off of the pay-per-view, so we are hoping to, to have that. And then more football previews into next week. Of course, the Blue Jays will be doing their thing as well. The CFL is rolling. It, it never stops, but it really is starting to pick up now. It's a really, really fun time, and I, I'm hoping you're digging what we are putting out. If you have any suggestions at all, email me, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com, or you can find me on social media, like I said, at primetimekline pretty much everywhere. Uh, that's going to do it. Thank you all so much for watching. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all later.